Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to discuss a trend that is just beginning to have a significant impact on students in grades K through 12 in the United States. And as our guest expert will point out, this trend is already being implemented in some other countries around the world. The trend I'm speaking about is intended to help our children be better prepared for their future career, whether that involves a college education or not. It's called career readiness. To speak with us about career readiness and the federal legislation that got this initiative going, we've brought on the perfect guest. He's Dr. Troy Podell. Dr. Troy Podell is an innovative disruptor and thought leader in the education space and is recognized as a leader in curriculum, instruction, and the application of people analytics to education. Troy creates exciting and meaningful programs for career exploration and soft skills education for the Downingtown Area School District in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. He's the academic director of two rigorous pre-college summer programs, one at Yale University and the other through the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation's Young Scholars Program. Dr. Podell also serves on multiple nonprofit boards such as the Board of Revolution School in Philadelphia. Troy holds an MS in Adolescent Education from Mercy College and a doctoral degree in Educational Leadership from the American College of Education. Well, hi, Troy. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hi, Jeff. Really glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Troy, can you please share with our listeners how you became interested in educating students in the K-12 years including your current focus, which we'll get into on career readiness. Was this something, Troy, that you had planned for? I had mentioned your background a little bit in the intro, and it sounds like this wasn't necessarily something that you planned. Not at all, actually. Uh, it was quite the pivot for me. I majored in broadcasting and telecommunications at Temple University and very promptly put that degree to work, working for, at the time, CBS Radio. It's now Entercom in the Philadelphia market. Wow. I was selling advertising and was really enjoying it and was doing very well at it. And then I had what my generation would probably call now a quarter life crisis. <laughs> Looked around Jeff and I said, you know, I'm, I'm doing well, but I don't know that I'm doing good. So I took stock of what I was doing professionally and said, well, what do I really like to do? What, what makes me happy? Well, in between sales calls, I'm reading these great works of history and economics and civics. And you know, the part about sales that I really liked the most was the customer success piece. It wasn't the initial deal or anything. It was watching my clients be successful. So I realized hmm. my happy is being a conduit for the success of others. So education became a, a natural space. And there are many caring adults in my formative years who helped me become the person that I am today and thought that this would be a great way to pay tribute to them as well. So here I am in the K-12 space 
I'm teaching social studies at the Downingtown STEM Academy in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Having a blast. I move on to become the K through 12 curriculum leader for the department, where I'm really focused on making sure that all the pieces fit K to 12, so that it's a coherent experience for the kid all the way through. And this position comes up called coordinator for career readiness. And I'm looking at it and saying it's a lot of relationship building. It's a lot of programming and education pieces internally as well. And say, this is a nice marriage of what I've been doing in the classroom and what I did in my sales career. And so that is how I became the coordinator of career readiness for the Downingtown Area School District. That's a great story. Thanks for telling us a, a wonderful career pivot in which you took some pieces of a puzzle and you put them together. You're able to do a lot of good for a lot of young individuals. Well, it means a lot to hear, Jeff. I do want to point out that while I made a pivot and that seems maybe irregular, it's not. The big ugly secret about the four-year degree that we have in this country is that 75% of bachelor's degree holders are working in unrelated career fields. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that majority. That's interesting. Now, career readiness seems to be the pivotal component of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which we may also be referring to here as ESSA. Can you give our listeners a good overview of what ESSA is all about? And why does it seem to be kind of under the radar, Troy, in terms of public awareness of it? Well, ESSA was passed during the Obama administration with an overwhelmingly Republican Congress. So it's a bipartisan piece of legislation that just about everybody felt really good about. And so, of course, it's not going to get press coverage. You don't hear anything about the seven to two Supreme Court decisions where Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor are in agreement on a principle of the law. You hear a ton about the contentious five to four decision. It's the same with our politics. You hear a lot about the contentious piece of legislation that folks are are grappling over rather than the one that actually makes people feel good. Good point. That's, I think, the root of why it's under the radar. It's also a federal piece of legislation for what is really historically in this country been a state and local priority. Education is not really covered in the Constitution of the United States uh, in any appreciable way. And so it's tended to fall under that Tenth Amendment bailiwick of the states and the people. It really wasn't until the, the 1960s with the Elementary and Secondary Education Act part of LBJ's slate of uh, Great Society anti-poverty reforms, that the federal government really begins taking a robust role in education, K-12 in this country. ESSA represents a reauthorization of that Elementary and Secondary Education Act. Periodically, it's required to be reauthorized. So ESSA is essentially the federal guidance to the states as to what education in this country ought to be. What are our priorities? Federal government does a good job of setting the agenda and setting the targets. And then the states under ESSA submit to the federal government plans for how they're going to meet those targets. Principally, the federal government is concerned with the extent to which there's accountability in the system that's typically measured by 
standardized examinations, though under ESSA that, that gets expanded, there are certain data points that we know correlate with high school and college graduation rates. And so there's an interest in longitudinally tracking those and making sure that school districts are working to improve them. And lastly, there's really a focus under ESSA on not only college readiness, but career readiness. The question really needs to be asked in this country, what's the terminal goal of K-12 education? And the answer cannot simply be preparing you for post-secondary education. It's one of the few civic institutions to which we all belong in this country. And so it's important to recognize that it needs to serve the ends of the entire country, right? The whole community of people. And an integral piece of a person's life is their working life, how they choose to spend their day and earn their living. And it makes perfect sense why that's included in ESSA. Okay. People wanted accountability, clearly, in education, and education's priorities needed to shift a little bit. So under the Obama administration, ESSA has passed. I think there's an opportunity to continue the work that ESSA has really started with regard to the, the changing emphasis on what the terminal goal of K-12 education in this country ought to be. ESSA incentivizes schools and states to adopt greater career work-based learning programs, they're called in Pennsylvania, where students are getting exposure to different careers and actual hands-on experience in those careers. And it makes perfect sense. As I mentioned a moment ago, if three quarters of bachelor's degree holders are working in unrelated career fields and a full seven in 10 of the the return on investment dollars for a four-year degree come in the fourth year, right? It's 70%. That's a lot. It means that people are doing their career exploration after they have already sunk a tremendous amount of time and effort and energy into preparation nominally for a different career. Gosh, economists would go nuts. What a mismatch. Yes. In the K-12 years, Jeff, it's the time to try on lots of different hats to experience as many different contexts as you possibly can, because the cost of exploration is low. When you get into your 20s, it gets awfully higher. So, you know, I'm really glad that that S is incentivizing that. Before we get a little bit deeper into Every Student Succeeds and the act itself, I wanted to ask you, Troy, so we have this initiative in the United States. It's a new one, relatively speaking, came in during the Obama administration. We have listeners, as you probably know, who live outside of the United States. Are education programs in other countries similarly placing an emphasis on career readiness? Or have they kind of been like us in that they've been a little bit more focused on just giving kids basic learning, and then let them try it on after they get out of school. Are there any that you would single out as being more attuned to this career readiness kind of education? To answer your last question first, I think the Swiss are really doing it right. In Switzerland, at 16, you essentially earn the equivalent of a high school diploma. And then it's expected that for the next two years, you are doing some sort of college and career preparation. You're working toward an advanced degree and you're, you're trying on different apprenticeships or 
different careers. It's really an intensive exploration period. I, I think the Swiss are, and have historically been doing it really well. Okay. The German system is one that also, I think, does it well, kind of, but it's authoritarian in its implementation. You take an examination in uh, you know, your, your middle years, and essentially you're tracked from that point, and that you are in the college track, or you are in a vocational track, or some other kind of track. Look, I understand that, that there needs to be uh, priorities, but that, that doesn't seem to fit with the American character of individualism and, and choice and people getting to chart their own destiny. So I don't think a system like that would ever be implemented in this country. The Israelis also have, have an interesting model that I think is fascinating in that they have mandatory conscription or national service when you graduate from high school. Hmm. And so you're spending two years either in the military or serving your country. By the time you end up as an undergraduate student, you're 20 as opposed to 18, you have an extra two years of maturity that make a big difference. Speak to a college junior versus a college freshman. They have lived more than their compatriot and have a little bit more wisdom. Those are huge years for self-discovery and exploration. It makes a lot of sense to say nothing of the fact that you're getting as a community, the additional benefit of that collective labor. So there are other approaches in other countries. And you know sometimes they're in keeping with their national character. Our national character is rooted in federalism, right? And so our approach is more helter-skelter and less unified, and that fits with the United States. Okay. That's interesting. So you mentioned these few examples there of other countries who seem to be proceeding in a different way than the United States, and perhaps in a successful way in their own countries. What I would like you to talk about now, Troy, is it's sort of like a combination of looking at the macro we're not yet in the micro of this. I want you to talk again about this whole career readiness priority. So what S is asking, this act is asking of the states and their education systems, and then talk about what flexibility the states have in designing and implementing their programs if they've got this overarching act that they have to pursue. Before we do that, there's a systemic flaw or loophole, I suppose, depending on how you look at it, in how we prepare young people for careers through our K-12 system in the United States. The lived experience of every educator, it seems, is I achieve my prosperity by going to four-year college or university and majoring in either education or the subject area that I choose. I then achieve a career as an educator. I stay in one job role, which nobody does in the 21st century. I stay with one employer typically, which nobody does in the 21st century. I have a pension, less than 10% of the workforce has that. I'm in a union, less than 10% of the workforce is in one of those. And I retire in my 50s, which people don't really do anymore. So it's an anachronism that the K-12 education workplace for teachers is kind of in the middle of the 20th century. Mm. So when they're giving advice to young people about how they should achieve their dreams, teachers are in good faith relaying their own lived experience. 
So that anachronism of the professional world that they occupy versus the one that they're supposed to be preparing kids for is an impetus for work-based learning experiences and for kids getting out of the four walls of the school and getting their fingernails dirty, exploring different careers. So there are national shortages of labor in different industries, certainly. And so career readiness as a, a national priority in education legislation makes sense. But in different states and localities, the particular workforce shortages or workforce needs are different and they vary. Now that they taken together make up the aggregate problem, but it makes sense then that individual states would have greater flexibility in, in designing different programs that work for states and regions to get students out and exploring, to credit different kinds of behavior. And with 50 different states, you have 50 different laboratories for ways to do things so that we can learn from other states how they're choosing to incentivize career readiness uh, versus our own, and, and we can proliferate best practices. When you're talking about a federal piece of legislation, everything is subject to that supremacy clause in the Constitution, right? So the federal government, when they share power with the state governments, is supreme. It gets to call the tune, and they're paying the piper here, so they are calling the tune, right? That's typically how they do it. But really, the role that the federal government plays in ESSA is setting the end targets. It's setting the priorities. The states really have to do the nitty-gritty work of creating plans and, and have done so. Most were submitted in, in the 2017 year and have since been amended a number of times. And uh, over the course of the past year, given the COVID pandemic, have had to be amended yet more times. So the states really get to determine how they're going to get to the end targets while the federal government sets that end target. I think it'll be really helpful if you could give the listeners some concrete examples in your state, maybe in a few other states, that show them what ESSA is doing or is trying to do and what impact it might have on those students and hopefully on our society at large. Different states are doing different things, naturally. In the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, there's an emphasis in, you know, Drucker said that what you measure, you improve. And so they've, they've changed the measures in the hope of incentivizing improvement in a few key regards. It used to be under the No Child Left Behind regime that schools and districts were given uh, something called a school performance profile score, which was a singular number that took into account some different factors, but was mostly based on the state testing regime. And you were given a number that said your school is rated at an 89 out of 100 or uh, 92 out of 100 or 78 out of 100. It meant something, but really as a, a measure was flawed. And now with ESSA requiring you know, greater emphasis on these other priorities, Pennsylvania's adopted a dashboard of displays, which many states have done, where not only are you given as a consumer the testing information, but you're also given information for what we call on-track measures, which speak to those statistical data points that we know are correlated with high school and college graduation. And there's an index for college and career readiness. The state has promulgated standards for career education and work. 
They're called CEW standards. And every student in grades three through 11 is responsible for maintaining a longitudinal portfolio where they aggregate artifacts that demonstrate their mastery of those standards. So because there needs to be mastery of those standards, school districts now are programming toward those standards and working with different providers of materials to help meet those standards. We have working relationships with lots of different providers, people like Junior Achievement or EverFi uh, that, that are terrific. And they provide these things at no end cost to the school district, precisely because they're underwritten by these job providers, in many cases, financial institutions, who have a vested longitudinal interest in an educated workforce and in a workforce that will eventually be working for them. Other states are doing similar things. For example, New York State has this, instead of a, a college and career readiness index, they have a college career and civic readiness index, which includes some data with regard to how many students are engaged in work-based learning experiences, how many have been accepted to post-secondary institutions of learning, and then they have a, a complex system for measuring your civic readiness. California measures not only something that they call an academic achievement indicator, but they, they do it based on not only your participation in accelerated coursework, but your participation in career and technical education, as well as what they call a well-rounded education. So they want to see that their students are participating in the arts and are learning a second language, et cetera. And that's fascinating as an approach when you contrast it with New York's and with Pennsylvania's, where you're not really measuring the quote-unquote well-rounded piece. It speaks to a prioritization of the liberal arts, perhaps. Also speaks to, perhaps, a recognition that you pick up translatable skills to any career in the arts or by learning another language or simply by engaging in elective exploration as a young person. So that further incentivizes exploration. Now, Texas is an interesting story in and of itself as well. So I, I chose to include here New York, California, and Texas because they, they tend to be your sort of bellwether or trend-setting state education mm. agencies. The Texas Education Agency has what they call a student success indicator. And it takes into account not only these benchmark examinations and performance on standardized tests, it factors in students who earn dual course credits, students who enlist in the military. And so there's validation of the military choice in the K-12 space, students who are earning industry certs and students who are admitted to post-secondary education. So there's lots of different ways to do it. But I, I want to focus on that. What you measure, you improve. Different states are communicating what priorities they hope are improved by what they're choosing to measure in that career readiness piece. Okay. I want to ask you a very practical question here before we look into the future. And that is, I remember when I went to school and I'm thinking of high school, I had no idea pretty much what I was going to be when I grew up. 
And I remember I heard a talk about accounting and I thought, ah, the accountant spoke. And ah, I know I'm not going to do that. So I like the idea, which seemed to be unusual when I went to school for even colleges to do this work study thing. I thought work study was the greatest. They had Drexel University in Philadelphia, and I thought that yeah. was great. If I'm a parent now of a student who's in grades K through 12 or a grandparent of such a child, can you speak to me about whether that child is interested in becoming a plumber, an electrician, working in a supermarket, a factory, or as an accountant or an IT person? What can I expect right now might happen as a result of this Every Student Succeeds Act that wasn't going to happen for a lot of students like Jeff Ostroff back in the day. What can I expect or hope as a parent or grandparent to see that's different and better? I want to unpack the example that you gave. Someone from the community came into your school and shared with you what it is that they do for a living. And you were able to say, you know, self, I know myself well enough to know this is not for me. Right. You would not have known that had that person not come in and spoken to you. So making the school more of a semi-permeable membrane <laughs> with the yeah. outside world, yeah. where there's, there's a greater degree of exchange between school and business community, it is integral. One of the things that we've done locally where I am is created a business and education council with the local chamber of commerce. The chamber of commerce has folks that serve as mentors to our kids in their business classes. And we plan events together. We plan career fairs and other things so that students have the opportunity to discover more things that they like to do. And just as importantly in that age, if not more so, have the Jeff Ostroff realization of, I don't want to do this because that represents a really awesome opportunity for the kid to assert control over their own destiny. To say no is psychologically a powerful thing. So that's one positive, the, the greater exchange between business community and K-12 education and the greater opportunities for exploration for young people. I think you're going to see a, a group of 18-year-olds that over time are going to come out of their K-12 experiences with a greater understanding of who they are and what they enjoy. When you've had that opportunity to explore, you find out more about yourself and who you are. I'm anticipating a greater degree of maturation. I'm anticipating a greater acceptance of pivoting from this group of, of young people coming up, this Gen Z, Gen Alpha group. I'm expecting them as a result of ESSA and the incentives that it's creating to take better advantage of career and technical education, to adopt different pathways to their educational and career attainment. And I think they're going to be disruptors in that space too. Just as we never could have imagined 15, 20 years ago, that being a YouTube content creator or an Instagram social influencer would be an occupation. There are going to be occupations that 5, 10, 15 years from now, the current crop of K-12 students will be doing and succeeding at marvelously and that the world will need and we'll have no idea what they are right now. So 
ESSA also forcing us to confront that fact and understand that we emphasize, sort of like California's approach, the translatable skills in education K to 12. You're going to see kids, hopefully, that are able to do more things. They may know fewer things. They may be able to recall fewer things, but they will be able to do more with what they know uh, than previous generations. Okay. We'll come back to that one more time. For right now, today, and maybe the next couple of years, let's say, our students right now who are still in school, not in college, we're not talking work study at Drexel University, are they able to, or will they very soon be able to, depending on how old they are, actually experience work while they're going to school? Oh, yeah. We have a program in our school district that provides you with academic credit for holding a job and for holding it for the entirety of your senior year. We have internship programs that provide you with credit for maintaining a volunteer position for the entirety of your senior year. There are schools and districts that are adopting programs that release their 12th graders for half a semester or what have you to go out and and have an internship instead of coming into class. There has to be those programs and and there, there will be an acceleration of those programs. I think particularly in light of what COVID has done to K-12 education, getting us to consider that education isn't something that takes place within one place and at one time. Education is something that we attain over the course of a lifetime of lived experience. Get out and live. And we should incentivize that and give credit to it. I think that's great. And I'm glad that you mentioned COVID there as well, Troy. That to me just sounds so much more practical and meaningful the younger we can get our school children familiar with what's going on in the working world, in the real world, to prepare them, the better. That's to me, seems like a wonderful aspect of career readiness. If I might also ask you to follow up on that with what's the youngest age you think we're seeing children already being impacted by this career readiness? Oh, there are kindergarten lessons being taught now in my school district, young as young can be. And it doesn't have to be anything along the lines of getting a a six-year-old to be embedded in a workplace for a day, although that's not a bad idea. Getting them to take interest inventories at young ages to see what they like, and then seeing that there are careers that are linked to what they like, getting them in the mindset that they can earn a living and empower themselves in their lives by doing things that they enjoy, that's inspiring. Career exploration and career readiness isn't about creating a generation of folks who live to work. It's about creating a generation of folks who work to live. And work becomes an important contextual piece of their life. It's something that enables and empowers them to pursue their dreams. And doing that at a young age and getting them to begin that exploration and begin to get their feet wet is important. I couldn't agree more with this. I just think it's a wonderful idea. And I just hope that it moves forward in the long term, that it's not just one of these short-lived initiatives. And that leads me to get into 
the essence of looking forward, other than the positive slant of those words, we're trying to project a little bit over the next several years, maybe even through this decade, Troy. You started to talk about this, and I want you to pick up on it and also look at another side of it too. So what do you see as being the potential long-term impact of ESSA if it is going to be successful? And long-term right now is really over the next five or 10 years, if we continue with this ESSA program, and what barriers, if any, do you see in that happening? It's an insightful question, Jeff. Not that the other ones haven't been insightful. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) To extrapolate I suppose, is the laziest form of prediction, but you'll indulge me for a moment. I I think that there are some trends that ESSA has forced upon us in terms of re-examining what success is in the K-12 space, what the end product of the K-12 educational system ought to be, that will get us to begin questioning that in other facets of American life. What does it mean to be successful in the workplace? What does it mean to be successful as a person? Are the two synonymous? Where's the overlap? Where is there, you know, the spaces outside of the middle of the Venn diagram where they're mutually exclusive propositions? I think we're going to be, as a society, more conscientious of those things. I think kids over the next five to 10 years are going to assert greater and greater agency over their own career development and growth. I think kids are going to be getting into the workplace earlier. There's going to be fewer folks that are matriculating to four-year colleges and universities and going on to grad school right away. And look, I'm not throwing four-year colleges and universities under the bus. I'm really not. They're responding to consumer demand, which makes perfect sense. And I have three degrees for crying out loud, Jeff. If I didn't see the value of education and continuing your post-secondary education, I wouldn't have done it. And it's enabled me to provide for my family and to speak with you today about things that I'm passionate about and that I love. And it's enabled me to live a life where I can contribute to the success of others, which has always been the mission. So it has its place, but the four-year degree will no longer be viewed as, because it isn't anymore, your gateway to the American middle class, or for many students, your insurance policy against falling out of the American middle class. It will be a credential weighed like other credentials, indicative that you can do certain things and that you have certain character dispositions. There's an effort by many corporations to short circuit that system of four years of delayed entry into the workforce in earnest by issuing what are called micro-credentials. And that's indicative of employers care about what you can do and what value you can provide to them. The four-year degree, yes, will give you an indication that someone can read and write at a certain level, is trainable, is capable of critical thought, can delay gratification for four years and meet a goal, which is meaningful. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the end-all be-all and will not be perceived as such. I think those are really positive things. As we take a look at the barriers, one thing that occurred to me, and you may be able to speak briefly here, Troy, to any other barriers, but one barrier that I could potentially see, and maybe it isn't a barrier, you spoke about ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, as one that had bipartisan support. And 
I can think to my career, it has nothing to do with federal legislation. You may already have experienced this, Troy, where everybody now is tracking, let's say it used to be Malcolm Baldridge or Stephen Covey and, and everybody in that organization learned those things. And then that was like the program or the passion du jour. We moved right. on to something else. Could that be a barrier to the fullest implementation of ESSA and the realization of what you just alluded to? And there may be other things, but I'm just wondering, could this be stopped dead in its tracks at some point in the near future, not necessarily 30 years from now? Sure, it absolutely could. The most formidable force in K-12 education today is inertia, the desire for things to remain in the status quo. And I student taught years ago as part of my teacher certification program. And another teacher, veteran teacher, said to me, in discovering your own style for being an educator, do what you think is best and don't listen to whatever the initiatives are. Because about once every 15 to 20 years, the zeitgeist is going to come back around to what you think is best and you're going to be the trendsetter all over again. And then the wheel will continue to spin and you won't be in vogue anymore, but you know that you'll be doing right by kids. And I suppose that there's some wisdom in that. Um, there's also a tremendous degree of cynicism in it. I have to believe if I'm choosing this career that there is a possibility to better help people realize their potential, to experiment in ways to do that. And some of those things are going to be failures to be discarded for sure. The one thing that will likely never be discarded from the human experience is the imperative for productive labor and the imperative for us all to find meaning in our lives through the actions we take. And we spend more time in terms of actions we're taking in our productive labor than in anything else. So yes, things can be derailed and yes, things can change, but ultimately the need for career readiness is never going to go away. And so if it's not this, it's got to be something. Okay. And that's a great response and certainly a hopeful one. Just one last piggyback question there. Sure. At either the federal level or among the various states, do you still feel as you look forward that over the next several years, there's buy-in for this, for this ESSA program, for the career readiness that you talked about, that it's not going to vanish in, in a few years? You know, I think so. I'm not hearing the same sort of clamoring about ESSA that you heard about No Child Left Behind. Okay. Either within the ranks of teachers or within the body politic, let's say. So I think that this is an answer that is getting us closer and closer to a right answer, or if there isn't a right answer, to your point, Jeff, it's the right answer for now. And that may change, and then hopefully our, our government responds in kind. Okay. That's good to hear, and it sounds like a very realistic way of looking at it, Troy. I just can't agree more. How much more important can career readiness be, and why should our students have to struggle with that either when they're in school K through 12, particularly as they get to the 10, 11, 12 part, or even in college, as many students do. It would have been so much better if I had a better idea of what I was being prepared for when I was 
younger. I knew what my interests were, and frankly, I'm doing them now. And right. uh, I guess I eventually found them, but it was not easy. Now, yeah. I want to ask you one last thing before we tell people how to reach you and learn more about ESSA. And I'm not sure that you're going to have a great answer for this, Troy, but looking forward is partly called looking forward because we try to see opportunities in these trends. And you've talked about a huge trend today, the trend of trying to prepare our kids to be ready for their careers at a younger age, whether it be college or not. And so what I would like to ask you is, if you think about the millions of people who have lost their jobs due to COVID-19, other people who may not like what they're doing in their career, I know you had a moment where you thought, well, I'm not so sure this is the right and perfect thing for me. There may be some people who are, I'm sure there are people looking to work after their retirement because they figure they might live a lot longer, or maybe they need the money, or they're just plain bored. And certainly, there could be students who are about ready to go to college or in college, they're trying to figure out what do I do with my life. So my question after having said all that is, are there any opportunities that you can see for any of these disparate kinds of individuals, either to be found in the school system, such as where you are, or moving forward initiatives like ESSA. And that doesn't necessarily require, as you talked about your partnerships, being in the school system as you are. Right. So there's you know various efforts that I'm seeing popping up with regard to the uh, displaced working population and uh, with regard to career changers, various efforts to upskill the workforce in light of COVID, um, great partnerships that I'm seeing between chambers of commerce and community colleges and career and technical education centers and four-year colleges and universities, and, and yes, even K-12 education providers. COVID has accelerated the need for all of us to be communicating together as one ecosystem of support for career readiness. So I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for any of those individuals that you mentioned to access more intentional and voluminous opportunities to change the skills and acquire the skills that they need if they wish to change careers. The world is everyone's oyster now. It really is. The barriers of place and space for education are largely gone. The barriers economically for education are being chipped away at slowly but surely. I'm hopeful. I really am for every worker that was displaced by COVID, for everyone thinking about what to do with their lives, for everybody that's looking to continue to find vocational fulfillment even after the age at which we say that you're supposed to retire. There's so many different avenues. All you got to do is look. Well, let me piggyback off that. Let's take a look more specifically at ESSA itself and its implementation. There are a lot of teachers who have retired in recent years, who will be retiring. COVID caused teachers in some cases to not want to come back. Does ESSA in and of itself create jobs either within the school districts, such as it created a job for you in a way. I mean, you had a job, but this is another one now with career readiness. And how about these partners you're talking about? Will there be jobs created for somebody who works for the Chamber of Commerce or for a company in dealing with schools and students who are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives? Yes to all of the above. 
Jeff, absolutely. My school district was a bit of a pioneer in creating my position. Uh, there are other school districts around us that are creating similar positions or have created similar positions. Uh, and I've taken the initiative of creating a, a working group of all of us so we can continue to help one another and support each other. There are folks within chambers of commerce that are more intentionally focused on workforce development as a subset and subspecialty of the work that they're doing and making outreach efforts to K-12 partners. There are businesses now that are reaching out to me specifically to develop cooperative education programs from their human resources department. People who do talent recruitment will call me and say, can we create a program that serves as a career pathway? There are a few regional employers, Jeff, who will hire one of our seniors part-time throughout the entirety of their senior year. The kid's earning money. The kid is getting credit from us uh, as a K-12 education provider for the work that they're doing. And they're guaranteed full-time employment with benefits once they graduate high school. That's and in phenomenal. many cases, in many cases, Jeff, they're earning great wages. Like, <laughs> What's great about that, not just for the students who are making that good money, but what you're talking about here in a very specific way is in at least two job functions. One, somebody working within a school system, and two, somebody working within an HR department, let's say, of an organization. There are job possibilities that will facilitate students' ability to be ready for careers and to find work even before they finish high school. Is that correct? 100% absolutely yes. And you're only going to see more and more of it. So that's exciting. And I'm really glad to hear that, Troy. This has been great, very enlightening, very positive. I love it myself, this whole career readiness idea. I think we've been ready for career readiness for a long time. Frankly. <laughs> What's the best way, Troy, for our listeners to find out more about you, about the Every Student Succeeds Act ESSA in general, and what's going on in their state regarding ESSA? For your state, I would recommend reaching out to your state department of education. Uh, look at their website and see how they have submitted a plan for compliance with ESSA. The Federal Department of Education's website has really terrific resources on the Every Student Succeeds Act and what it contains and how those provisions are being effectuated at a local level, at a state level, at a national level. If you want to get a hold of me, LinkedIn is probably the best platform to please connect with me on LinkedIn. And I like that being the space where I operate in terms of social media and connecting with people because I'm the career readiness guy and LinkedIn is a career platform. So I, I think it fits. That's great. And we just want to make it clear to everybody, Troy's last name is spelled P- as in Paul, O, D as in David, E, L, L. Troy, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for shedding some light on something that a lot of people may not have been aware of. And I know before I met you, I had no idea about the Every Student Succeeds Act. And it really is great to know about it and the potential it offers for a lot of our younger people and the society overall. So thanks again for being our guest on Looking Forward. Jeff, thank you very much for having me. It was a blast. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.